Katie Kempner, and welcome to Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I am really excited to be starting this new season talking with Gina Garubo. Gina, welcome. Thanks, Katie. Great to be here. So I was lucky enough to have the chance to interview you already for something else, and I have so many things I want to ask you. But I think a good place to start, you know, you've had such an interesting career. Can we start by talking about the early portion of your career journey? Sure. And I have to say, I've been blessed because my career has really been an adventure where I've made lifelong friends. And so I'm, I'm very happy to talk about it. When I graduated from college in the early 80s, my first job was in the ad sales department of the ABC News Network. And I worked for two account executives. One taught me how to read a Nielsen pocket piece, which was actually a little book with ratings in those days. And the other account exec I worked for taught me how to organize golf outings. And many of those skills came in handy later in my career. After a few years at ABC, including in their affiliate relations division, I went on to two ad agencies, McCann Erickson, which is what it was called back then, working on the Coca-Cola account, and Wells Rich Green working on P&G and Ford Corporate, Ralston Purina. And it always seemed like I was the junior buyer on the team, so they would ask me to buy the new things like syndicated television or cable television. And because they were buying primetime upfronts and they didn't want to deal with this. But I sort of embraced it and I became pretty expert at explaining new media to Fortune 500 companies that needed me to take the new media and put it into perspective versus primarily national television, which is the bulk of what we were doing in those days. And I found it to be really exciting. I mean, take Nickelodeon, for example. The way kids started watching television in the 80s completely changed with the remote control. And so it wasn't about Channel 2, 4, or 7, ABC, CBS, NBC. It was click on to their favorite character who happened to be on a cable channel and Nickelodeon. So explaining this to brands, explaining the value of this was something I became good at. Years later, you know, I ran um, sales for a syndicated television company and then went to the Discovery Channel, where the CEO, John Hendricks, an amazing man, great pioneer, um, pushed to be one of the first media companies to have an internet uh, website. So discoverychannel.com came into being in the early 90s, and I was running Eastern Ad Sales. And he said, Gina, in addition to what you're doing, can you help us figure out how to monetize discovery.com? And I said, sure. And since I was in charge, the display ads were a third of the page, and they were vertical. Um, but I chose to only sell four sponsors at a time. And it was really a share of voice we gave them. And you have to understand back then, Discovery's programming was uh, a bit more prestigious and mm-hmm. upscale. And so our the brand sponsors were BMW, Intel, and I was able to sell them internet 
ads and they had the most amazingly beautiful and cool copy. But in the mid 90s, it was hard to find clients and agencies that could even buy internet. And so my phone started ringing off the hook with offers to run internet sales for organizations. And I ended up going to this little startup called women.com, which I think you wanted me to talk about a bit. Well, I do, because you were one of the first, you know, you were a key executive in shaping that, which I think later became iVillage. And it was such a pivotal site and a pivotal moment in time, really. So yes, please tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So like I said, I had all these offers coming in and I picked up the phone one day myself and they, this headhunter was like, oh, we have the site women.com. And I don't know why, but I went on, I looked at it and I said, oh my God, they have a channel for career, a channel about money. Just reading it, I could just see they assumed women were working, had money, were buying houses, cars, instead of the fashion do's and don'ts. It was, hey, this is what they're showing at the Paris Fashion Show. Would you wear this? So I went to be uh, head of their ad sales. And I tell you, it was a completely different conversation because A, the internet was new. B, talking to the Fortune 500 companies about why this internet thing was going to be big, was important, was attracting a different kind of audience, was totally new. And I had to go to the biggest consumer brands for women and say, you know, that commercial you're running in daytime, the one where the woman's sort of hugging and singing her, you know, with her mop as she cleans, like so uncool, like you could never do that at women.com. And so we actually help brands create the right messaging for the woman who was online. And In those days, we were forecasting that women online would be looking up medical information and recipes and financial information, and they would dominate the internet. And when we were out raising money, most of the investment bankers, who were men, would say, God, my wife doesn't even like computers. I mean, it was was otherworldly. And... It was honestly, in my opinion, one of the cases of the democratization of media. I think the internet in general democratized media because when I was young, it was just a small number of big media companies that pushed out what the culture was, what the news was, you know, how you should walk, talk, and dress, right? With they supplied laugh tracks so you knew when to laugh or not. I mean, almost surreal when you think of it now. And from there, I went to blog her. Uh, Actually, I went to Oxygen Media to run their ad and internet sales and then to blog her. And I'm very proud of that because also the democratization of media, we shared ad revenue with thousands of women who were writing blogs from their kitchen tables, like in Oklahoma, the pioneer woman, Reed Drummond, who ended up with a TV show on Food Network. And I am sure a number of these women's voices would not have been heard had Log Her not been there sharing the revenue. It was something I'm very proud of, working at both organizations. 
Well, you absolutely should be. And I guess the next question then, and I hesitate to ask this question based on my very small, but, you know, nurturing podcast. Um, Do you still think that there's a need for sites and media and podcasts aimed specifically at women? I definitely think um, women gravitate to voices that they find relatable. Whether those voices are by women for women is not necessary, but I do say, I, I will say the internet has created a more level playing field and allowed what everybody's calling influencers to have a, a stage that was not possible before. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny story since I know we're going to talk about my role at NPR. Um, when I was at Blog Her, uh, one of the journalists of a NPR member station had a panel at the Harvard Club, and it was three media organizations and myself. And the whole uh, thesis of the conversation was, are these bloggers journalists or not? And of course, he started with me, he said, okay, Gina Garubo, do bloggers consider themselves journalists? And I said, well, you know, I don't know if the mommy bloggers or the food bloggers consider themselves journalists per se, but we have a number of bloggers here today in the audience who are political bloggers and they have their credentials and um, they consider themselves journalists. And so when you think back to, you know, what right do you have to push your voice out into the world? You know, that's not even a question now. So all I have to say is I am grateful that in the media landscape, there are voices that are far more relatable to women than there ever were 30 years ago, you know, when I was young in the media world. Because so much progress has been made when it comes to women's voices and women being heard and conversations around women. I can't help but think in some ways, though, that maybe we're backsliding. Do you feel that way or am I doom scrolling? At times I do. At times I do. It's interesting. Sometimes I I go to conferences and I, I don't think there are enough women on the stage as speakers. Um, sometimes I, you know, watch the news and I'm keeping track of how many sources are white men versus people of color and women. Um, I will tell you, you know, um, at NPR, they work very hard to make sure sources are diverse and represent different sectors, ethnographically, demographically. Well, that is a great segue to talking about your role at NPR. So tell us about your role as president and CEO of National Public Media. Yes. So National Public Media is the sponsorship subsidiary of NPR. And I am very proud. My team and I bring in sponsor revenue from national advertisers to NPR and member stations. And it's interesting. I never would have guessed 
that my years at women.com and blog her would have trained me so well, but at NPR, all of our sponsor messages are produced in the voice and tone that's in keeping with NPR. We don't take client-supplied creative, which can often be jarring. The NPR listener wants uh, a certain type of listening experience that is less commercial than a commercial radio station or any other media entity. So I find myself having conversations with brands about the power of fact-based messaging about your brand, about your product. Uh, we do have custom audio, so we do allow brands to uh, insert their voice, uh, tell their story, either CEOs or car designers. We had the founder, Sierra Brewing, talking about how and why he created his organization. It's, it's interesting. We very purposefully produce the messaging that is informative because the audience is leaning in and wanting to know information, what's happening in the world around them, what's happening in the environment, what is the story of a brand is just as interesting to them as the story of what's happening in their city. Well, NPR, I mean, it's more important now than it ever was. I think Many people feel that strongly. I certainly am one of them. How has its role in culture changed or or really has it? Um, I am extremely proud to be associated with NPR and to help support NPR's mission for a more informed public. NPR has bureaus around the world. Um, they seek the highest quality fact-based journalism. You will never uh, see a situation where a host pits two individuals with opposing views and lets them go at each other, which is something that happens in other media. Um, and I do want to remind everybody that the member stations across America are a vital part of the survival of local media in America. You hear a lot about the death of local media because of the decline of newspapers, but NPR member stations around the country, like WNYC in New York, every Friday they have a segment with, you know, Ask the Mayor in um States, they allow the governor. I mean, it doesn't matter what party they are. They allow political individuals to come on the air and speak to their constituents about the state of the state or the state of the city. And NPR listeners consider NPR very important to them. And I think a very important reason is that combination of local national, and international that comes together in a way no other media company offers. We had um, Sherry Day Scott on last year who works at NPR in Atlanta, which has a very robust program. And you make an excellent point. It's so important 
in terms of local news and regional news all the way up to national news to have that that mix, that hybrid. So thank you for mentioning that too. As a loyal listener. Thank um, you for that. So if I were to say this is an unusual time in the world, that would be a very big understatement. But um, I don't even know how to put it. So let me not even say that part, but things are moving at a very fast pace. And for working women, it can be very difficult to stay on top of things. You talked about earlier on your in your career, having the opportunity to really be at the forefront of something big. How important is it for people to continue to learn and grow once they have an established and smart skill set that they're using? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting to me. I consider myself uh, a business anthropologist because when you are in the ad sales or sponsorship business, really putting yourselves in the shoes of your clients and understanding their world is key. I think it's critically important that you stay curious. And so before I talk to a brand, I'll always check in to hear what the news is about them, if they're private or if they're public, what their earnings report was, what's happening competitively, where their stock price is. Try to imagine the pressures on them politically, economically, socially. You know, we have a lot of customers who have, you know, issues with staff, customers who are now faced with high interest rates, customers who who are, you know, in, in the financial sector who has, have had problems, entertainment clients that have the strike. So I think it's critically important to be on top of your world because your ability to put things into context and connect with others around you, to me, is the secret of success, but also happiness. I mean, I just think it's intellectually and experientially the coolest thing in the world. I mean, I have probably 10 to 12 meetings a day. Every single one of them is different, dynamic, interesting, because it involves either aspects of my organization or others' organizations, other people's worlds. And I know you wanted to ask about working remotely and it's it all it's all related. It's all, you know, part of the same challenge we have. Thank you, Gina. You're just helping moving this along in a very nice way. I appreciate it. Yes, I would like to talk about working, you know, hybrid or remotely, because one of the things that it it really is a lot harder to do is is to connect and to have role models. And for a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're definitely in that stage of looking to connect and looking to who they can. You know, it's one thing when years ago when you were in an office and you saw somebody perhaps in a role that you'd like to be in and you could stop by their office and just chat with them. So with that being harder, do you have any advice for someone who's looking for a mentor? And I want to add to that in a way to genuinely network. And I use that word genuinely as opposed to these horrible networking events that I always hated and I don't even think are the way in? Yeah. So to me, I mean, last night I had dinner with a woman I worked with at the Discovery Channel in the 90s. And I've made best business contact, best friends. I mean, helps me get 
jobs over the years. I, I can't explain how important it is to be in person with other people. And if you can't be in person, stay connected, seek connections. So young people would be surprised if you link into a senior executive with an informed and a clear request, would you spend a half an hour speaking to me about your career path? You know, how you think a young person could navigate X, Y, Z. I think it's quite possible that you are not connected. Obviously, if you're in an organization, you should be taking advantage of all the people in your organization. Ask them, you know, what was their path? What do they do every day? What are some of their secrets to happiness and success? How do they find balance? Um, And then maybe ask for their advice, who else they could be connected with who would help. So friends of friends of friends. I think that's excellent. And also just ask, people would be surprised. I interviewed a woman um, a couple months ago for my podcast, and she is a tech executive in London, and she was brilliant, young, really interesting. And afterwards, we spoke a little more. She said, you know, can I just check in with you every so often? I said, absolutely. You know, and so I think a lot of times people are afraid of of asking, but really, what is the worst that could happen? Someone will tell you no. Absolutely. So in the vein of advice, I have two things. Um, One thing that I didn't. um, So Perspectives was originally supposed to be all about balance, how successful working women are balancing things. And over the years, I came to find that many women hate the word balance. But whatever you call it, how women figure out how to have their careers and have their personal lives has always had a lot of interest for me, especially for many years. I was a single mom, and I know you were too. So, can you please talk just a little bit? about how you found balance or whatever word you like to call it throughout your career? Yeah, no, I, I, I was really blessed. I got pregnant with my daughter uh, while at women.com right before we were going public. And I went to the board and said, we're having a baby. I'm not getting married, but we're all having a baby. And they're like, what? And she, my daughter went on every business trip till she was three and a half. She was in her first board meeting at three months old. I would take her to sales meetings. I mean, I, I never asked permission. I paid for she and a nanny or my sister. So for me, I was very lucky. And I just say to women, because I talk to a lot of women who come to me and say, I, I want to be a single mom. How do you do it? And I say, well, You're extremely capable. And I would just figure out a finances first because you need great child care, especially if you want to take that child with you sometimes. And you have to be extremely organized with many of these women are. You may be a little sleep deprived because my secret is I get up at four or five in the morning because I need to work out and meditate before I face. The enormity of the day. Everybody's got their their little things, but 
I do believe being intentional, being organized, and understanding what your priorities are is important. So everybody who worked with me, thank God, at women.com and Blogger and Oxygen, these were women-run companies, and they totally respected the fact that I could be a single mom and run big businesses at the same time. Um, so I think the other ingredient is make sure you're associating with the right people. Don't go work for a, a bank run by 70-year-old guys who don't care about your family or your emotional well-being. Um, go work for a bank that does care. There are plenty of businesses that care about um, the well-being of families. And it's not just a women thing. It's a people thing, right? It's a people thing. And that's an excellent point. I mean, you spend so... You spend so much time working. It used to be you spend so much time at work, at the office, but whether you are back in the office or you're not back in the office, you spend so much time working. It's important to be surrounded by people that you like, respect, and respect you and doing something that you enjoy, right? The world has changed, I think, in many positive ways in regard to allowing flexibility. I had breakfast with the CEO of a company last week and no joke, they are in the office at 7.30 in the morning. It is, you know, a financial media company. He said, but on Fridays, I work from home and admittedly, it's a real lifesaver for me. And he didn't use the word balance, but that's exactly what he meant. Like, if if you have to let the gardener, you know, into the garage or whatever, it's just being human. I mean, the whole, remember, the U.S. business was based on the military chain of command, the industrial complex not always human, not always family oriented, but family is important. And our society's health and well-being is predicated on strong families. However you define those families, it is time with loved ones, time with people you care about, you know, because you will be a much healthier person emotionally, physically, and mentally if you're surrounded by people who care for you and you're allowed to spend time with them. You said that perfectly. You're exactly right. And in that same vein, just to close, is there one particular piece of advice that has really helped you in your life and your career that you could please share with us? Yeah, I think it's, you know, look for the joy. Work is work. And we all have to deal with stuff at work that we wish we didn't have to. Um, but there are so many joyful moments, so many things you can lean into that are either more fun uh, or something you can make more meaningful. You know, be yourself, bring your sense of humor and, you know, try to make try to make it as fun and enjoyable as you can. Well, it's definitely working for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Katie. It was great talking to you. And thank you all for listening.